This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by 23andMe. Now through December 26th, get up to $50 off each 23andMe DNA kit. Give the ultimate personalized gift by going to 23andMe.com/fool. It's Thursday, December 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Barker. Happy Thursday. Thank you. Welcome back from New Orleans. Thank you again. We'll <laughs> we'll get to that. I'm I'm curious about your trip, but we've got we've still got earnings, we've still got we've got maybe the ultimate Bitcoin slash blockchain story, uh, and we're going to dip into the full mailbag. But let's start with Bed Bath and Beyond. Third quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected, and I'm guessing the expectations were really really low because that stock is uh, heading south today, and the fact that. This is a quarter that includes at least part of the holiday season, and same store sales down zero point three percent. That might not sound like a lot, but if you're not getting it, if you're a retailer and you're not getting it done at the end of the year, you got problems. Yeah, it's a sort of more of the same, and the same has been a disaster for shareholders of Bed Bath and Beyond for a while now, and I think that it is telegraphing that. Uh, people can expect the pattern to continue. Uh, this is a company which has been able to sort of keep its top line reasonably healthy over the last few years, uh, and it is really kind of close to all-time highs for for sales, uh, up around twelve billion a year. Uh, but its uh, margins keep collapsing. It uh, gets more and more expensive for it to compete. Uh, it's building up a little bit of an online presence, but the bottom line is is shedding profits uh, routinely and consistently, and they are expecting more of that. How does this company survive over the next three years? Do they have to do they have to start closing a lot of stores? Do like I'm I'm trying to think of the path forward for Bed Bath and Beyond that does not include bankruptcy. Well, they have all right. What they have been doing, and let's set a little some numbers as background. Uh, okay, they were doing about eight, nine, ten billion in sales, 2011, 12, 13. They're up to 12 billion now, so they've continued to grow top line. But when you get down to actual profits, uh, net income is now at about half a billion. It was a billion uh, four years ago. So, margins are declining while sales keep inching up, kind of along with about the level of inflation. And the company has bought back a lot of shares. So, what it's been doing with its capital is buying back shares rather than opening a lot of new stores. I'd advise opening no new stores and continuing to invest in its online operation, which is growing. But you know, the, all the expense of building up that side of the business has led to this decline in actual uh, profits and, and share price. You're talking about a company that's going for about seven times earnings at this point, uh, and that may be a generous valuation. Let's move on to a company that I don't know that we've ever talked about before, Pacific Gas and Electric. Shares falling more than 16% this morning after the company suspended its dividend. This is related to the recent wildfires in Northern California and the prospect that PG&E could be held liable. And when you consider the fact that there was 
somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 billion worth of damage. I don't know how much of that would they would potentially be on the hook for, but there are a number of lawsuits that Pacific Gas and Electric is facing regarding their operations and the maintenance of their equipment. Yeah, this so it's down 14% today after talking about uh, releasing the information that's holding its dividend. That, of course, is basically why you're invested in a utility is for the stability of the cash flow. Uh, these are very stable operations. Uh, highly regulated, so you know what the profits are going to be from year to year to a much greater extent than than other companies in the market. They don't have a lot of room to grow, so they're they're sending out a lot of their profits in the form of dividends, and you've got retirees counting on those dividends. Uh, it, it's a typically a stable part of your portfolio and a predictable one. Well. No longer the case for PG&E, which is halting a dividend, and then you have to ask, who are the owners of a stock like this? Who wants to own it if it's not got a consistent payable dividend? Finds itself, uh, you know, in a a better climate for, um, you know, those filing litigation against it in California than would be the case in a lot of other states, and they they just don't know. How big their liability is. It is sort of one of the, the the downsides of investing. If the number one reason you're investing in a stock is the dividend, it just kind of stinks that a company, any company, can for almost any reason say, "Yeah, we're we're not doing that anymore. We're cutting it. We're suspending it." And for perfectly legitimate reasons. I mean, if you're PG and E, and you think to yourselves, "Wow." We got all these lawsuits. You know what we need a lot of, just in case, cash. So let's just suspend the dividend. But all the more reason to respect the dividend aristocrats of the world that have, for at least twenty-five years, because that's how you get to be a dividend aristocrat. For at least twenty-five years, they have steadily increased their dividend. Yeah. So. A utility or other companies which largely form their ownership base around the predictability of their dividends, it's not a contract. You know, there's no obligation to pay out a dividend, but there's a an understood contract. This is a company that uh, had a you know yield of around four percent before halting the dividend, and that's something that people can can plan around um, a four percent return on on their money uh, in the form of cash is something that you know retirees are going to uh, enjoy having uh, if they can be confident in it and uh, so that is the the reason you don't cut your dividend or just move it around a lot is because of days like today uh, the reason that you when you say, well, they can just they can cut it, uh, yes, they can, but there's a huge cost to pay in terms of uh, the the stability of their stock price. And that is going to affect them in terms of their ability to you know issue debt. Uh, so there are a lot of sort of knock-on consequences to being in the spot where you have to cut a dividend. it's it's the last thing you want to do when you're in this kind of business. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com from longtime listener Courtney Whitmer in Leesburg, Virginia. What do you guys think about Target 
What do you guys think about what Target is doing to make itself a destination activity? I've noticed a lot of advertising on their part using the catchphrase, have fun on your Target run. Also, as a mom, I've been invited on multiple mom dates to Target, where we grab Starbucks on our way in and then mosey around the store with the kids in the cart, chatting and shopping for stuff we don't need. Maybe this is how they get an edge on Amazon? Question mark. Uh, great question, Courtney. Um, and I think I, I think the the key part of so first of all, I've noticed that as well, just in terms of the the way that they have messaged the the, the most notable holiday advertising from retailers to me is Macy's, Kohl's, and Target. Macy's and Kohl's, just because I think they're doing a good job with their television ads, but I think if you're looking at either of those stocks, you want to see how effective are those ads, and we'll find out in January. But in the case of Target, I've noticed the whole have fun on your Target run theme as well. I think the key part of her question is um, shopping for stuff we don't need. Because it it reminds me of uh, we had talked recently, I think on Motley Fool Money about Costco and how Costco is um, offering uh, in-store pickup for things for big ticket items. So yeah, you can order this online and then you can come pick it up. But part of the the thinking on Costco's part is, yeah, we want to make it easy for people to come pick stuff up. Up, but we also know if we can get them in the store. Uh, they're probably going to buy some more things. And uh, I don't know about whatever Target is closest to your home. The one that's closest to mine uh, uh, here in Alexandria, uh, yeah, they've remodeled the front of the store uh, to include um, a Starbucks. And right next to that is uh, a huge selection of wine. So, if you're thirsty, <laughs> they're going to they're going to hit you one way or the other right when you walk in the door. Yeah, I guess they're one of the. Uh, stores that has the uh, capacity to pursue making it a destination by making it an, an experience uh, in a way that uh, Bed Bath and Beyond, you know, just doesn't. Uh, right. It's just there is nothing likely to be fun about going to a Bed Bath and Beyond. Is there? Uh, not that I can think of. Also, I, I've only been in a couple of Bed Bath and Beyonds, and uh, what they have had in common is just. Claustrophobic sightlines, whereas I think Target has generally done a good job of when you walk in, the store sort of opens up and you can figure. I mean, and they're usually huge footprints, so you can figure out where you need to go. Whereas like Bed Bath and Beyond seems like a, a really uh, soft and comfortable maze. Yeah, what it feels like, and I hadn't really thought about this, uh, but it seems like it feels like the last scene from um, Indiana Jones. Um, from Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, when they're filing the Ark into the dense and cluttered uh, storage facility, uh, where you that need, goes on forever. It goes on forever, and you need like cranes to get up to the stuff at the top. And and yeah, Bed Bath and Beyond seems like oh, there's something interesting. It's thirty feet up. Why are they doing that? <laughs> and the aisle just goes on for you know. A mile or so. Yeah. So I think what they should do is probably be uh, less awful, you know, as a, as a destination. Yeah, um, Bed Bath and Beyond. Yes. You know. You know what might help with that? Top men. Top men. Um, do you think that uh, to, to Courtney's question about uh, like three <laughs> people got that reference? Um, uh, to Courtney's question. Um, I, 
I think it's going to be interesting to see. I, I don't think it's going to be the same sort of timeline as with um, what I was referencing with Macy's and Coles, because I think we're going to see that very quickly. I think we're going to see that in January. But I think that if they are doing these types, if you're if you're a target shareholder, you're looking at that stock. I think you want to find out. Okay, is this something they are methodically doing? Um, Across the country, is this some? I don't. And off the top of my head, I don't know if Ryan Cornell, the CEO, or or any of the executives on his his team have talked about this. Um, just sticking with big boxes for a second, um, when um, Hubert Jolie became CEO of Best Buy, one of the things he talked about was remodeling those locations, making them a better in-store experience. And based on the Best Buys I've been to, they've done that. They've they have absolutely done that. I, so I've got to apologize because I stopped paying attention for a while there, as I, <laughs> as, as my mind went to the possibility of Bed Bath and Beyond promoting itself as you know, come here, you might find the Ark of the Covenant, in you know, like in our maze of stuff. I would, probably something they won't pursue, but I'm telling you, that would have been a better business plan than the one they've actually pursued over the last couple of years. It would bring us in, wouldn't it? I mean, not necessarily together, but if 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 they started doing that and said, you know what, there's there's a Bed Bath and Beyond in the greater metropolitan Washington D.C. area. And in one of them is the Ark of the you Covenant. You legitimately might be able to control the world if you come here and find one of our artifacts, but be be careful with it. You know, yeah. Follow the rules. You got to follow the rules. You were saying something about Target. I'm just. I'm wondering if if you have any uh, thoughts or not. No. <laughs> okay. With that, I mean, it was a great question, and I think that uh, Target needs to be a fun place, or you know, a, it has to have some sort of destination element to it. Uh, it's really it's about the same size it was ten years ago in terms of revenue. It did sixty three billion. Ten years ago, it does sixty-nine billion today. It's bought back a lot of shares uh, over that time, so it has pursued uh, rather than uh, opening up as many stores as possible and finding out how difficult uh, a journey that's going to be when you've overexpanded in today's retail landscape. Um, they have kept things a little bit more under control and and bought back shares which I think has done a better job for shareholders than uh, you know uh, rapid expansion would have done and so that does create also more of a possibility of being a destination by having not like it's that hard to find a target but they're not they're not everywhere uh, so that that allows the possibility that maybe yeah, you get get together with your shopping buddies and and have fun going there in a way that you don't you don't get together to shop at Amazon. That's true, and that's that's what any retail place that is going to survive has got to be is is something that is a better experience um, than Amazon, and and it can do so by making the store uh, friendly and and have some real um, social element to it. And if you need last-minute gifts, you can go to Target. Or, hey, you can go to 23andMe.com slash fool. This holiday, give your friends and family the ultimate personalized gift, a DNA kit from 23andMe. They can learn about their genetic ancestry, their inherited traits, and even information about their health. What other gift can do that? I'm asking you, what other gift can do that? I don't think no. Ark of the Covenant. No, no. It's good for all the powers. It's all powerful. It's not going to give you inherited traits and genetic ancestry stuff. No, no. So this holiday, give a gift that is as unique as the ones you love with 23andMe. And now through December 26th, 
for our dozens of listeners, get up to $50 off each kit when you go to 23andMe.com slash fool. That's the number 23andme.com slash fool. Quick question. Yeah. Uh, so, do any of your other guests, because I don't get to catch every show, ever reveal that they just stop paying attention to you? Um, not as openly as you do. I'm sure they all do, but not as not as openly. It's they not don't a, reveal that. It's not as transparent. Yeah. Right. Um, I think I think we've got the story that is is peak Bitcoin or certainly peak blockchain. Um, up to up to this point. Up in to time. this point. Yeah. yeah. Give us another week, I'm, and we'll I'm see. I'm telling you, by the end of 2018, I'm 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 taking the over, right now. <laughs> All right. Well, here, here's what I mean. This is a good, good opening bid, but I'm taking the over. Here's where the new bar is being set. Shares of the Long Island Ice Tea Corporation, which, as the name suggests, is a company that sells Long Island Ice Tea. Shares of this company up as much as 430 percent before the market opened this morning, after the company said it is changing its name to Long Blockchain. Corporation. In an official statement, the company said it will continue to sell its line of bottled drinks, but that its parent company, and I'm quoting now, is shifting its primary corporate focus towards the exploration of and investment in opportunities that leverage the benefits of blockchain technology. Welcome to 1999. That's, I mean, and you're old enough to appreciate this. One of the things that has been said, or a question that has been asked over the last few months with regards to Bitcoin and blockchain technology is, gosh, with all of the mania around this, with the soaring price of Bitcoin, is this like 1999 all over again in terms of the dot-com era stocks and that sort of thing? And for a lot of reasons, the answer to that question is, no, it's not. It's, it may, there may be some similarities, but it's not quite like that. This right here, this thing? This is absolutely straight out of the 1999.bomb playbook, because there were companies that had one business model and then put out a statement saying, "Oh yeah, we're now we're now also a dot com. We are companies just tacking on whatever is the hot thing at the moment and saying, "Hey, we're exploring this and we're changing our name." And in 1999, it was companies changing their name to add .com to the end of it. And in this case, Long Island Ice Tea Corp is now Long Blockchain. Yeah, well, I think uh, it does remind one of uh, some of those things. Uh, Books a Million was one where uh, sort of a third or fifth-rate bookstore uh, chain, and they they said we're now booksamillion.com or we're going to start a .com, and and the shares exploded. It wasn't even we're doing it now. We're we're going we're going to have a website. I don't know if you remember. Oh yeah, so like ninety six, ninety seven, maybe, where you could still just we are going to do something was worth a couple hundred percent to to your stock price. Uh, and what was it? Zapata or something like the fish oil company that was then going to become an ISP. Uh, yeah, I think what you people should be ready for if they're going going back home Christmas, maybe going to see some people, some old people that the, for whatever reason they want to that aren't family members that they want to impress. They just say when people ask, "What are you up to?" Like I'm doing a little thing with blockchain right now. <laughs> I'm I'm doing yeah. 
And you you might want to have like one follow up to that, but I think you just then you you change it. like I, don't know, I can't really go into it. And then this is your advice for listeners. If they want to I like Im- this. you know, impress stupid people. That's <laughs> you're at you're at a holiday party. It's like, what are you doing? I'm you know, doing a little thing with blockchain. Oh, tell me about that. Well, look, it's got a lot of optionality. I but it's it's under wraps right now. Yeah. Uh, can only reveal the details to top men. I signed an NDA. Just say that. But like, I signed an NDA. Long Island Ice Tea is doing the same thing today, right? They're trying to impress stupid people, and and I think they've succeeded. I think they have because while the stock was up more than four hundred percent before the market opened, now as we tape this, it's uh, it's just after twelve noon on the East Coast, and the stock is only up one hundred ninety percent. So yeah, absolutely. But maybe, maybe we're also the stupid people. I mean, we're actually talking about them. Do they deserve to be talked about, or are we just mocking them? Um, uh, They're getting publicity right now. Yeah, from uh, I mean, not that anybody's listening. Right. Uh, no, at this point, people long stop listening. Yeah. But but I think that this is not the type of public the. Type of publicity that they were looking for was just simply the press release that they that they <laughs> issued and filed, and uh, and who knows, maybe uh, maybe insiders bought some shares last week, knowing that this announcement was coming. So yeah, in terms of the stock price at the moment, as we talk about this, it's essentially tripled. So it was a twenty twenty five billion dollar company this morning, and now it's a seventy billion or seventy million. Sorry. Uh, so it's easier to move numbers like that around, right? When you're talking about the tens of millions in, in terms of market cap, there aren't that many shares out, and people go out and overpay. And uh, the stock went up to fifteen dollars a share. Now it's seven. So it was a hundred plus million dollar market cap company there for some short period of time. The one example I can think of uh, of a company in the late nineteen nineties. Coming out with an internet strategy and it had an adverse effect on the stock is Starbucks, because it was either July of '98 or July of '99 on their conference call. Howard Schultz, then the CEO, talked about, and I think if he had just come out and talked about Starbucks.com as being a place where we're going to sell coffee and coffee makers and and really just all things coffee online, I think if he had done that. The stock might not have dropped 33% in a single day, but instead he came out and said, Starbucks.com, an online lifestyle portal. We're no, we're no longer a coffee company, we're a lifestyle brand, and we're going to sell high end furniture, and we're going to sell like, all these things. And people are like, kind of, kind of like what we saw with PG&E, where it's like, you know why I'm invested in your stock? Because of the dividend. You're not doing the dividend anymore? I'm out. And in the case of Starbucks, it was, you guys do a great job with coffee. Oh, you're not doing that anymore? Goodbye. Yeah. Stop producing movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, so, clearly, we've reached the, uh, the apropos of nothing portion of the show. So, uh, the investment talk has, has long since passed. So, so, feel free to drop off listening. But I do, I do have a couple of things for you. And first is you, you just went to New Orleans with your family. I did. Any, uh, any business takeaways from your trip? Any, any, or any, any recommendations of here's a restaurant you should go to? All of them. <laughs> really? It was, uh, every meal was great. It is. Every it, meal was great. I would, the recommendation would be, uh, you know the amount of food that you used to. You go into a restaurant and you order uh, an appetizer, perhaps, and and a main course. And don't do that. 
<laughs> no. However many people there are, start saying like, "Yeah, we're, we're gonna, we're not gonna need an entree for everybody." Especially when you're traveling with kids. Right. There, my kids aren't super young, but we talked on the apropos of nothing show with uh, Robert Brokamp about the eating your kids scraps, uh, and it, there was a lot. There were a lot of leftovers, uh, and and we we were only there for three days, so that was not long enough for us to learn our lesson. So we were still winding up with a lot of food uh, at the end of meals. New Orleans, and I've only. I've only been there once, so I need I need to get and it's been a long time, so I need to get back. But it seems like New Orleans is sort of in the same realm of restaurants in terms of cities in America, maybe on par with San Francisco, or or sort of in the same ballpark as San Francisco, where if you go to San Francisco, go to any restaurant because they're all great. And if, if you find one that's bad, take a picture of it because it's it's a unicorn. <laughs> so it, it seems like New Orleans is sort of in that category as well. Yeah, and if you like Cajun or, or Creole uh, food, which which I love, um, it's, it, there's a little bit of it there. Uh, so <laughs> a little bit, yeah, absolutely. Um, let's bring in our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd. Uh, Dan, do you have thoughts on on this topic? Yeah, uh, New Orleans is probably my favorite city in the country, and I've been to both San Francisco and New Orleans. And I got to say, San Francisco's got nothing on New Orleans as far as food goes. Really? Yeah. I I think when we go to San Francisco in early February, we're going to hit some restaurants and and change your mind about that. I look forward to that. (laughs) So I don't know San Francisco particularly well, and I shouldn't say that I know New Orleans. Very well. After just spending three days, it was the first time I had a chance to be there in over a decade. But uh, we were able to eat a lot of good food just walking in, kind of anywhere, and not having to research. Oh, where are the good restaurants? Whereas San Francisco, perhaps, uh, has many high-end restaurants. Uh, I'm sure it does. There's more money there than than uh, to sprinkle around in, in New Orleans. Uh, so just the Walking into any place on the street and being confident that you're going to get great food was definitely the experience in New Orleans. I hope it's the case for you guys in San Francisco, but I, you seem to know it better. Yeah, there. Are, yes, there are definitely. It's all fresher than we're used to. I mean, just the California restaurants are getting fresher vegetables and and. Uh, Seafood and things like that. I would think so. Yeah, um, that's a big part of it. But yeah, but the, there are definitely high-end restaurants in San Francisco. But there are also sort of hole-in-the-wall places that have great food too. So, um, any any business takeaways from your trip or no? No, none. No. Nice. Good no. for you. you people just... are people are spending money. That would be one. Of the, I, we were there uh, on the river, and man, there is a lot of commerce going up and down the river. Okay. Huge boats just constantly going in and out. There's business being conducted in this country. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and and I think that that uh, well. So the last time that I was there was uh, about eight months after Katrina, and and there was less of a vibe of just business is booming. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so I uh, I was thinking of you recently because and 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 I. Maybe this is uh, touching a nerve based on, before we started taping, there was a lively conversation uh, about the movie Elf. And uh, I, I was thinking of you recently because uh, my family got together, we watched Elf, 
And uh, you've made the point that ELF is, among other things, a way to introduce younger people to Bob Newhart, uh, who plays uh, Buddy the Elf's father. He's he's the Elf dad. Papa Elf. Papa Elf. And uh, so I was listening to uh, a podcast recently, uh, an episode of Greg Fitzsimmons, who's a comedian. And he has a podcast where he usually he's interviewing other comedians. And in this case, it was Judd Apatow, who's track record as a director of film comedies and producer of film comedies and television for that matter is is pretty stellar and he's gotten back into doing stand-up comedy and has a Netflix special and the first 10 minutes of their conversation was the two of them talking about Bob Newhart and I just thought ah, I got to send this to Parker because it's like they just in reverential tones talking about Bob Newhart as a stand-up comedian par excellence Oh, it, it, phenomenal. And uh, well, we started talking about him when we were doing to go back to apropos of nothings, which is what we like to talk about. Uh, the first one where I was talking about Bob Newhart being on my um, Mount Rushmore of influences. And I, I like to think that if people are listening and they listening to me at all, which doesn't sound like a great experience, but I. In listening to any portion of myself on a podcast, I think, ooh, it sounds like he's doing sort of a bad Hugh Grant impression. <laughs> you know, all the, like the stuttering and the inability to form uh, sentences early on and just it, just speak like a normal person. But I think it's more the Bob Newhart stuttering influence uh, than uh, than the bad Hugh Grant that people probably associate me with. Yeah, because you don't have the British accent. No, that's what makes it such a bad impression. That's among other things. <laughs> that's true. And yet, you. So I was talking to uh, and people. I hope they've stopped listening by now. But we were at the holiday party mm-hmm. for the, the Molly Fool the other week, and so I, I got to uh, sit uh, or stand and talk with your lovely wife for a little bit. And we were talking about podcast stuff, and and I was. Mentioning just how smooth you are at this whole thing, as compared to me, uh, which I think everybody agreed with, uh, and and you actually put some work into this, right? A little bit at the in the early days. Sure. How yeah. long did that take? How long did what take? Like be just getting all the the stuttering and ums and ahs out of your speech. They're not completely out, but it took somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three years. I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's you know, and that's uh, it's it's nice uh, on the occasion where someone will say something along the lines of, "You're good at this," which is which is always very gratifying. But part of my thinking in response to that is, I really hope so. I've literally been doing this every day for seven years. So if you if if you lots go- of people are awful at things they do for every day for seven years, you know that. I suppose that's true. Uh, we should really wrap up here. Uh, uh, quick shout out for uh, Motley Fool Money this weekend. Our guest is Dan Ariely, behavioral economics. I want to. I want to say genius. Love Dan Ariely, and he has a new book out. So, uh, so he's the guest on Motley Fool Money this weekend. You can check that out. Uh, are you traveling for the holiday? I got one other tangent. Oh, okay, one other tangent. Sorry, sorry. I did. I, I would have. I would have held back on the housekeeping notes. By all means, jump in. No one's listening. So yeah, I know that. <laughs> so yesterday, I missed uh, our little thing uh, in MFAM, Molly Fool Asset Management. Had a little, a little thing. A and little you were invited. I was invited. Yes. Yeah. Even though I was not there, you you came because you're sort of an honorary. 
Yes, I an was an honorary drinker <laughs> with MFAM. I was very gratified to get a message on Slack from uh, Denise Corsi, your boss at Motley Fool Asset Management, saying, "Hey, are you around? Um, I've got a little something for you. Can you? Can We've you? We've got some alcohol, and it, we need you." No, she didn't even say that. She just said, "I have a little something for you. Can you come down to the second floor at some point later this afternoon?" And and so I did, and she uh, she presented me with. Uh, a, a lovely glass with my name engraved on it, and I think she got that for everyone on the t- everyone on your team. And as sort of an honorary asset management person, I got one as well, which was very very nice. And even nicer, she broke out a bottle of whiskey. So, so we we christened the glasses with just a tiny little bit of bourbon. And which got me to thinking: Isn't it time to produce some market foolery mugs, coffee mugs? Both for you know that you you would make and uh, present to whoever you felt like it, but you could also sell them. I bet. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. All I'm going to say is this: Stay tuned. Wow. Stay tuned for an merriest Christmas ever. Stay tuned for an announcement coming soon on this podcast regarding that topic. Listen every day until that that comes out. I don't know about that. Let's not go crazy. You can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues at Motley Fool Asset Management. Go to foolfunds.com and check out their stuff. It's great stuff. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Just a chubby guy. A red suit and a beard so white Flies around the world in a single night Going everywhere A hundred million miles to go Through the rain and winter snow How he does it I don't know Going Tricks!
his land He's in the chimney but he doesn't burn He goes on and on and on and on Sleigh bells ringing Up and down the boulevard His reindeer speeding through the night Rudolph leading His nose looks like it's on Santa Man!